We welcome you all to this hour of worship, especially if you are visiting with us. We're glad to have you here and uh, invite you to come back to worship with us on many, many future occasions. There's a lot of announcements in your bulletin that I hope that you will read. I won't read them since they're there, but a couple I want to highlight for you. Um, I want to say a word of thanks to Jessica primarily and uh, also to Katie for helping. We had a wonderful week of music camp this last week at the church and um, the dinner theater that was uh, a production that was put on last uh, Thursday night was a, a wonderful time um, that, that the children really did a wonderful job sharing the good news with us. And uh, we enjoyed the fellowship over a meal afterwards. So we, um, I noticed that Jessica looks kind of tired today. <clears throat> I think we can understand why that might be. And we appreciate all the children that, that helped us with this. Um, there's an announcement in your bulletin regarding rising third graders. We don't want to leave anybody out on the presentation of Bibles. So if you have a rising third grader, please let Katie know. Also, announcement in your bulletin regarding a way that you can be of uh, support to Greer Community Ministries while eating breakfast next uh, Saturday morning, so please take note of that. We also would like to call attention to um, another, uh, we've, this is hot month of July and August, we've had a lot of deaths. I don't think that any of them have been heat related, but... Uh, Jimmy Upton's mother, Mrs. Myrtle Upton, passed away on Friday. Uh, her funeral is tomorrow, graveside at Hillcrest at 11.30. I believe they are receiving friends before that at Wood. Um, so call, call that to your attention as well. Um, please mark your calendar for the ice cream social set for August the 21st at 5.30 in the Family Life Center. If you would like to bless us with a churn, uh, let us know in the office or talk with Chris or Judy Harris so they'll know how many tables to set up and things like that. Other announcements, I hope that you will see this as you have an occasion to. I'm glad to see Doris Hatcher here today. Bless her heart. <clears throat> Doris came to a funeral this week and, and fell head over heels and landed on her face, but uh, not too badly hurt, thank goodness. Um, Barbara McClyman is currently a patient in the hospital, went in Friday, I believe, um, over at St. Francis East, and um, um, forgetting somebody else who's, who's come home. Sarah Glenn came home from a little hospital stay, so. Our thoughts and prayers are with these people. You have to write things down when you get to be an old man, I realize. <laughs> Let us begin our time together in worship.
let's affirm our faith in God using the words of the Apostles' Creed. It's on page 881 in your hymnal. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From this he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life of the rising. Amen. <coughs> I'm not sure what Margie's going to have to talk about if Ralph's not here to pick on. But anyway, we invite the children to come forward now to join Margie Crowley for a few moments of sharing. song this little light of mine you do would you sing it with me would all of you sing it with me and sing it so that they can hear you out there are you ready this little light of Jessica, did you like that? It's beautiful. Very good. All right. What does that mean, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine? What is your little light that you're going to let shine? Yes, it's the love of Jesus in your heart. How do you do that? One way, what, Sarah? Love Jesus. That's exactly right. One way we can show that is by putting, you know, Christians are to be happy people, is to put a big smile on your face. Let me see a big smile. And when you smile, don't you like for people to smile back at you? Look at these people and those people. Are they smiling? <clears throat> are they smiling back at you? Put on your best smile and look out there and see if those people are smiling back at you. Are they smiling? Now, here's another way, and we can really get them on this one, is when you tell somebody hello, don't you like for them to say hello back? Or if you wave and say hello, you like for them to do that back? We're going to do that in just a minute. And some of you look here, and some of you look there, and then everybody look out here, and let's see if they're going to let their little light shine. Because you're letting yours shine, right? And see if Preacher Arthur's doing it, too. All right, on three, we're going to all say hello and wave. Are you ready? One, two, three. Hello. Look at that. All those people are letting their light shine. Can you believe that? And look how happy you are. When they 
You know, when they speak to you and let their light shine, that's a good feeling. That's what Jesus wants us to do. There's a verse in the Bible that's taken from the book of John, and it says, this is Jesus talking, I am the light of life, and those who follow me will never walk in darkness. Don't you like that? There's a man in the Bible named Saul, and Saul was not a very good man. He was rounding up Christians and putting them in jail. Now, Jesus didn't like that. That's exactly right. For no reason he was doing that, other than he was just a mean man at that time. He didn't really know all about Jesus that he should know. So Jesus said, hmm, I need to get that Saul doing good things. I want him to put all of his energy toward doing good things. Now, how do I get his attention? And then he thought, I'm going to shine a big light from heaven, and I'm going to shine it right on to Saul. Think that would get his attention? Yes, it did. He shone a real big light, and it was a, like a huge flashlight. The light was so bright when it reached down and touched the top of Saul's head that it blinded Saul for three whole days. Now that got his attention. He knew that God was talking to him. So he decided, I'm going to change my ways. I'm going to stop being mean, not going to put any more Christians in jail, and I'm going to spend my time doing good things for Jesus. And he did. He repented. He asked God to forgive him. And he was baptized. And God was so pleased with Saul that he changed his name to Paul. And Paul is known in the Bible as the greatest missionary of all times. Now God wants you to walk in the light. He doesn't want you to walk in darkness. And the way you do that is exactly what you told me earlier. You have God in your heart. And he wants you to be happy. Christians are happy people. You don't want to wear long faces. You want to have smiles on your faces. Most of the time, you're going to feel pretty good, aren't you? Yeah, because you're real young. You're going to feel good just about all the time, and that's a good thing. After we have our prayer, I'm going to give you a flower. And as long as these flowers are in this box and they're covered up with this towel, they're in darkness and they're just lying there. They're not doing anything. But when the flower comes out and it, the light hits it, you know what happens? It becomes alive and it's going to move and it's going to like dance because it's going to be happy. And the way you do this when you take this home, you ask mom to help you get it out of the plastic and put it in a window where the sun will hit it. And it's going to do this just about all day long. Or you can put it on a table where the light from the lamp will hit it. And it's going to move because it's going to be a happy flower. And I want that to remind you of God's light shining on you. God's light in your heart. Can you remember that? This little light, what are you going to do with it? 
What are you going to do with the light? You're going to let it shine. That's exactly right. Will you bow your heads, please? And I want you to repeat after me. Dear God, please help me to let my light shine so that others might let their light shine also. Amen. I thought maybe I was bright enough to make it work without, but I guess not. <laughs> Our um, Old Testament reading is from the book of Genesis, chapter 37, verses 1 to 4, and then 12 through 28. First four verses sort of introduce us. Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, in the land of Canaan, and this is the account of Jacob. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bila and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives, and he brought their father a bad report about them. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age and he made a richly ornamented robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Then down to verse 12. Now his brothers had gone to graze their father's flocks near Shechem and Israel said to Joseph, As you know, your brothers are grazing the flocks near Shechem. Come, I'm going to send you to them. Very well, he replied. So he said to him, Go and see if all is well with your brothers and with the flocks, and bring word back to me. Then he sent him off from the valley of Hebron. When Joseph arrived at Shechem, a man found him wandering around in the field and asked him, What are you looking for? He replied, I'm looking for my brothers. Can you tell me where they're grazing their flocks? They have moved on from here, the man answered. I heard them say, let's go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them near Dothan. But they saw him in the distance, and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we will see what comes of his dreams. When Reuben heard this, he tried to rescue him from their hands. Let us not take his life, he said. Don't shed any blood. 
Throw him into this cistern here in the desert, but don't lay a hand on him. Reuben said this to rescue him from them and to take him back to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the richly ornamented robe he was wearing, and they took him and threw him into the cistern. Now the cistern was empty, there was no water in it. As they sat down to eat their meal, they looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were loaded with spices, balm, and myrrh, and they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, what, if we gain, what will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. His brothers agreed. So when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph up out of the cistern and sold him for, for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites who took him to Egypt. Here ends the lesson. The responsive reading is Psalm 145 on page 857. I invite you to stand as you're able as we share this passage of scripture responsively. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all. His compassion is of All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord. And your faithful ones shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom. And tell of your power. To make known to all people your mighty deeds. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. And your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord upholds all who are falling. And raises up all who are out of them. The eyes of all look to you. And you give them their food in season. You open your hand. You satisfy the desire of every living thing. All the Lord's ways are just. The Lord is near to all who call. To all who call upon the Lord in truth. The Lord fulfills the desires of all the faithful. And hears their cry and saves them. All who love the Lord, the Lord preserves. All the wicked, the Lord restores. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord. Let all flesh bless God's holy name forever and ever. Epistle reading from, is from Romans chapter 10, verses 5 through 15. 
Moses describes in this way the righteousness that is by the law. The man who does these things will live by them. But the righteousness that is by faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend to heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the deep, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith we are proclaiming. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. For the scripture says, anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Here ends the lesson.
Let us join our hearts together in prayer. Lord, we are so thankful that you have been so generous and gracious to us. Not only have you made us and taught us how we should live, you haven't given up on us when we have failed to live up to your expectations and to follow your commandments. Some of us got into some pretty deep waters and some very difficult troubles, but you are faithful time and again to come to your children when we stray off. And you come to restore us to relationship with yourself and with one another, and we're grateful for this. We're thankful that our place with you here and in the world to come rests upon your goodness and your grace and not upon our deserving in any way. We know that we would not dare to stand before you and claim any inherent goodness or any deeds that we have done that make us worthy of your love. We have simply felt your love for us. We have received your gift of love, your gift of grace, and with Surprise, we have even heard you say to us that you declare us to be righteous in your sight because of what you have done for us in Jesus our Lord. So we come with that sense of joy and celebration in our hearts this day because we know who we are and we have learned who you are and we are so thankful for your patience and your love and your grace. And we know, Lord, there are many people in our world that have not experienced love in their lifetimes. Perhaps it is because of situations in their homes when they were young. Or perhaps they are far from you because they've never been in a place where they could hear the good news of your love for them through Christ Jesus. And so we say to you, Lord, here we are. Send us. Give us your strength. And cause someone to say about us someday how beautiful are their feet because we have taken our feet and carried the good news to people as we walked our way through this life. Help us, Lord, to be those who tell others or show others or express to others in song or in some way the love that you have for all of your children and for all of creation. Lord, we remember our church members that are not able to be here today because of illness or frailty in their bodies and some that can't be here because of times of grief or loneliness or depression. We remember, Lord, those who are seeking work in these difficult days. 
We pray for all of these who are connected to this family of faith at Memorial Church, that those who are discouraged this day might be encouraged by your spirit and those that are sick might be healed and that those who are grieving would find in you that you are the great comforter of all of us. And these things we pray in the name of Jesus who has taught us to pray saying, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Let us now worship God by giving.
gospel reading is from Matthew 14, verses 22 to 33. <clears throat> Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side, while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on the mountainside by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat was already a considerable distance from the land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. During the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It is a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it is you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat and walked on the water and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink. And he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Here ends the lesson. <clears throat> The grading procedures of my Walford College professors usually escaped my sense of logic. There was one professor that we really all believed graded our papers by climbing up to the tops, top of uh, Old Main there at Walford and throwing the papers down the stairs. 
and your grade depended on which step your paper landed on. I think, though, I had heard of the bell curve before I got to Walford because that understanding of how to grade uh, papers came from my 10th grade chemistry class. In all other classes, you have to get 70% of the questions right in order to pass the test with a D minus. But in chemistry, you could get 70% correct and still manage to get an A on the test. That was because the teacher graded on the curve. Whoever got the highest score of the class made an A. Whoever got the lowest score was given an F. The majority of the class earned a C because on the bell curve, that's where most of the grades would fall. Now, without that system of grading, I probably would still be in 10th grade chemistry class trying to get out of high school. But meanwhile, in the other classes, we were graded on a scale of 100. We were graded against perfection. But in chemistry class, we were compared to the average. Does God grade on the bell curve? Some people want to know. Or does God stand at the top of the heavenly stairwell and toss our papers down the stairs and see what grade that we ought to get? On Judgment Day, will we be compared with perfection or compared to the average score of all human beings who ever lived? You see, if God grades us on the curve, some of us stand a much better chance of getting into heaven than we would otherwise because maybe we did a little bit better than the average human being. We didn't bear false witness as often or steal as often or dishonor our parents as often. And so maybe God will smile on us. But according to the Apostle Paul in his letter to the Romans, we have only two ways to pass God's judgment test. And neither of those waves, ways involve a bell curve. And so you're out of luck if you were counting on just being better than the mo most of the people. But were you a little surprised when you just heard me say that according to the Bible, there are two ways of passing Judgment Day's test? There are. I remember the first time I heard a preacher say that, and I about fell over. He was a highly respected Presbyterian missionary, and so he had to prove that to me. There are two avenues to righteousness. There is the way of the first covenant and the way of the new covenant. The promise of the first covenant is still on the books. It is theoretically possible to achieve right standing with God through carefully keeping the commandments. In the Good News Bible, Romans 10.5 reads, Whoever obeys the commandments of the law will live. The contemporary English Bible says it even more plainly when it translates that verse. Moses said that a person could become acceptable to God by obeying the law. That sounds a little hopeful, doesn't it? So theoretically, there's a way to become acceptable to God through obeying, obeying the law. But just as soon as the law gives you a glimmer of hope, you realize what it really means. One must perfectly keep all the many laws 
you've got to score 100. The contemporary English Bible continues on with that same verse by adding, if you want to live, you must do all that the law commands. All? The J.B. Phillips version expresses how that makes me feel when it translates it this way. Moses writes of righteousness by the law when he says that the man who does these things shall live by them, which is theoretically right, but impossible in practice, end quote. The Living Bible further dashes our hopes of attaining right standing with God through a carefully managed keeping of the law when it says, for Moses wrote that if a person could be perfectly good and hold out against temptation all of his life and never sin once, only then could he be pardoned and saved. The message paraphrase says, Moses wrote that anyone who insists on using the law code to live right before God soon discovers that it's not so easy. Every detail of life is regulated by fine print. So, you go right ahead and try to be perfect and thereby attain right standing with God through the law. It is still on the books. Good luck with that. But remember, the first time you goof, you will have lost all hope of getting into heaven that way. And even if you succeed in keeping all of your actions perfectly pure, watch your mouth. The Bible says that we must account for every idle word that we ever speak. And that's not even talking about what I might slip up and say when I get upset. From time to time someone asks me, Arthur, do you play golf? And I tell them I used to, but I found that I didn't need practice cussing that bad. If you manage to keep your actions and your mouth clean, then good luck with your mind. Have you ever done an act of pure kindness or apparently pure kindness to an individual and spoken nicely to them and respectfully while in your head you hear the words judging that person saying, you're the lowest garbage I've come across lately. Jesus said that our thoughts and our hearts show us that we're guilty in God's eyes. And we can be counted as guilty of murder or adultery based on what goes on in our minds. So good luck with attaining righteousness with God by keeping your mind absolutely pure. And after you've mastered your actions, your mouth, and your mind, remember that failure to do something good that you should have done is also a sin. Sins of omission, we call those. Forgetting to do something good that you should have done I guess you heard about the little boy in Sunday school class who said that a sin of omission is a sin you were supposed to do but you didn't get around to it. <clears throat> Not exactly, Johnny. It is leaving some good deed undone. So again I say, good luck to you if you want to try the first theoretical way of attaining eternal life by perfectly keeping all the laws of God. What Paul really is saying in verse 5 of chapter 10 to those who trust in the law to save them that the law itself is against the law as a way of securing righteousness. The law itself teaches that salvation by works of the law 
as an impossibility for us humans. I'm not sure how old I was when I committed my first sin. It probably was when I fussed at my mother because the baby bottle wasn't warm enough to suit me at that moment. All I know is that I lost my chance of being perfect in God's eyes a very long time ago. One of the New Testament teachings about the law of Moses is that not only does it guide us as to how we're to conduct ourselves in society, but it has another function, and that is to make us aware of the fact that each and every one of us has fallen far short of God's expectations and hopes for us. Even if I could manage to keep the number of sins in my life down to three per day, one after every meal, even then I would be guilty of breaking God's commandments a thousand times a year. And by now I would have well over 61,000 transgressions on my eternal report card. And I would hate to stand before an earthly magistrate with 61,000 parking tickets. The law has definitely succeeded in making me painfully aware that I will not be able to stand before God robed in any self-attained righteousness. So next Paul turns to the second way of being declared righteous in God's sight. There is a way of right standing with God that comes another through another avenue, and that is through faith, Paul says. And anybody and everybody can be put right with God in that second way. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved, Paul says. And that makes me want to know what it means to call on the name of the Lord and what faith really means. Where do we go to get that kind of faith? Must we climb every mountain, ford every stream, follow every rainbow? Till we find our dream. Paul said, do we need to climb up to heaven to find faith in Christ there or descend to the depths of Hades to see evidence of the crucifixion of Christ there to, to bring Christ up from the world of the dead in order to be saved? Where do we go to get this faith, Paul? And Paul says, oh, it's a lot closer to you than you'd think. It's right there in your heart. It's as close to you as your own mouth is. And then Paul quotes Deuteronomy 30 when he says, The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. You've already got that saving substance of faith living in your heart now. Doubt itself is a form of faith, and I know some of you have that. What you need for right standing with God is right there in your heart already. Just use what you've already got and place your trust in Jesus to the extent that your mouth agrees with you and you're willing to openly profess your trust in Jesus. For if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You know, there's always a connection between our faith and our mouths. If I believe something strongly enough, I'm going to talk about it, and you are too. Some of you folks really believe in Clemson football. 
I know because you talk about it all the time. By the way, this is next year. Paul is saying to us that the kind of faith that will save us is faith that is strong enough to cause our mouths to be engaged with it, that we will put ourselves and our mouths and our actions on the line for what we believe. And also you will find that your faith grows a little stronger every time you take an opportunity to confess your faith in Jesus Christ. I will always remember the times I publicly professed faith in Jesus Christ. I remember the time at Bethel Church when I stood before the congregation there to be confirmed as a member of the confirmation class and together we professed Jesus as Lord. That really meant something to me. I remember the time I did that. And then I remember telling a gathering of college students about a renewal of faith that I had recently experienced in the fall of 1968. And as I told them my faith story, my mouth confirmed, and that word just means made stronger, it confirmed my faith in God. In fact, my faith grows a bit stronger every week when I stand up with you and profess, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. It would have been difficult for me all these years to have maintained much, if any, faith in God without your help week by week, helping me to grow and to confirm my faith. My mouth has gotten me into much trouble during my lifetime, but it's also confirmed my faith in God a time or two. And so we learn that God does not grade on the curve, but he does judge us in one of two ways. By the standard of the law, which is perfection, or by our trust and faith in God's grace and goodness as expressed to us in Jesus Christ. I know I don't stand a chance if I'm judged by the law, but I am saved by God's grace if I will trust in Jesus. Paul ends our lesson today by saying that all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved, but how can they call upon a name that they've never heard about? And how will they hear about the name of Jesus if the message is never proclaimed? And how can the message be proclaimed without a messenger being sent out to take that message to the people? That puts the shoes right on our feet. For the scripture says, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good tidings of peace. So I ask you today as you go forth from this place of worship to go forth into your communities to remember that you have pretty feet. Amen.